Well, we've completed the book of Philippians, and tonight we are going to embark on a new journey through the book of Habakkuk. So if you would, please turn in your copies of God's Word to the book of Habakkuk. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 785. I mention that because it's a small book. Um, It's easy uh, to pass by, of course. It's the eighth of the Minor Prophets. Normally here, I might give you a little bit of uh, context about uh, the book and the reading, but we're going to be addressing some of those things. Um, There'll be some of the context stuff will be weaved in uh, throughout the sermon, so we should be fairly grounded in those kinds of things by uh, the end. What we're going to do this evening is read only the first 11 verses. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This, of course, is the inspired, infallible word of God. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, to march through the breadth of the whole of the earth, to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves." Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, and they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. And here we will end the reading of the word. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. Indeed, Lord, we are grateful for what we refer to as the whole counsel of God, um, your word in its entirety. And Lord, we come to this little book, Habakkuk, and we desire to know its wisdom. We desire to know its treasure. Uh, We desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We desire to know you, O Lord, and to know what you would have from us. So we would ask that you would bless us as we meditate on this book, both tonight and in the weeks to come. We'd ask for your help, clarity that comes by your spirit. 
Lord, would you point us to our Savior? We would ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Several uh, years ago, there was a young boy, and this young boy uh, woke up in the middle of the night, and he was sweating, and he was uncomfortable because it was well over 100 degrees in his room, and he started to cough, and he, and he looked around his room, and he noticed that under the door, there was red and yellow light pouring in from under the door. It was a fire. It was something like an inferno. He could hear um, the popping and the cracking outside his door. And so he called to his parents, but there was no answer. And and his heart was filled with terror and he, he began to panic. And so he cried out at the top of his lungs, but still nobody came. And he didn't want to die. He didn't want to burn He thought, why did they leave me? Why did my parents leave me? Why don't they answer? How could they do this to me? And moments later, the boy's father came smashing through the door with like um, such speed that parts of the door went uh, flying into the room and the father grabbed his son, covered him in his arms and dashed back through the flames and brought his son to safety. Well, the prophet Habakkuk, he's experiencing the same kinds of feelings. He has the same sorts of questions. And if you look at verses 4 and 7, you'll see that the passage is about justice. It's touching upon justice. Do you see that? Habakkuk wants his readers to know that God is actively ruling and reigning over creation, ruling and reigning over the nation. Habakkuk wants you to know that God hears your prayers and that he answers, that he will bring justice. And Habakkuk does this by publishing his own frustration as well as God's reply. So, Let's begin looking at our passage. We're going to begin with our first heading, which is the prophet's concern for justice. The prophet's concern for justice. Uh, The book begins in verse 1 saying, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And we should begin answering some basic questions like, who is Habakkuk? And, And what do we know about him? And where does he appear in Israel's history? And what's an oracle anyway? We we aren't told a great deal about Habakkuk, but the book does give us some clues. Um, Habakkuk is a form of the Hebrew word embrace. Martin Luther took his name to be embracer. And the name carries the idea of a wrestler who embraces his opponent. And in this book, you'll see that Habakkuk, he lives up to his name as he wrestles with God in prayer. We're also told that Habakkuk was a prophet. And you know a prophet is a spokesperson for God. They received messages from the Lord and they were responsible to transmit them. Sometimes uh, prophets 
received an oracle from the Lord by a vision or a dream. The Apostle Peter refers to oracles as the very words of God. And you might remember in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, do you remember Ahithophel? Um, he was a counselor to David. Um, he was so highly regarded before he turned traitor to David that his words were considered the oracles from God. They were considered as God's very words. So this is what an oracle is. Well, the book gives us another clue about the author. If you would turn with me to chapter 3 and look at verse 1. As psalm singers, you're going to see something very familiar. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shigenoth. You no doubt recognize those words as you read the psalms. Now, direct your eyes to verse 19. Look at the very last sentence of the book. You see what it says? It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. To the, to the choir master. Uh, this prayer looks and sounds like a psalm, doesn't it? Well, First Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1, it says that the temple staff included men who were to prophesy with lyres and harps and cymbals. Habakkuk was likely a temple prophet who served along with the singers and the musicians. And one of the functions of temple prophets was to give responses to worshipers who came to seek divine guidance. When someone came with a problem, the prophet would inquire with God to obtain an answer. And in this way, he served as a mouthpiece of the Spirit of God bringing back his word. The student of the Bible knows that prophets serve as intermediaries between God and the people. You know that, right? The typical role of the prophet was to confront the people when they strayed from the covenant. But you'll notice something very unique about Habakkuk. He's a little different. He's not doing that, is he? He's working in the other direction. He calls upon God on behalf of the people. The Lord's actions didn't seem to correspond with those demanded by the covenant. Where, where was he? In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, the prophet says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save. In verse 2, we are introduced to Habakkuk's prayer. Now, we're just beginning to consider it, but you need to realize and recognize that this is not new to Habakkuk. He didn't just start praying this. He has been toiling over this for a long time, day after day, month after month. He's become exasperated. This prayer has been like running a marathon for him, and he is becoming exhausted. 
There's a certain bluntness to the Hebrew which doesn't uh, quite cut through in English. He says, how long, Lord, have I cried? And you do not listen. I cry to you and you don't help. Why? Where are you? Habakkuk was distraught. He's distraught because of the national sins of Judah. The nation has, become, has been becoming more and more wicked. And the prophet had been frequently and earnestly taking this matter before the throne of God in prayer. But something has changed. Habakkuk was initially interceding on behalf of the people, asking God to bring about repentance and revival. Now his prayer has turned from an appeal for God's salvation for his nation to a personal protest about God's inaction. Do you remember the way Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal when their prayers weren't answered? Do you remember that? He said, maybe Baal is busy, or maybe he's on a journey, or or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. But Baal was a false god. Of course he didn't answer, he didn't exist except for in the minds of men. Habakkuk couldn't understand why the Lord wasn't answering. It seemed as if God didn't hear prayer, or that he was just going to refuse to answer. Why was there no response? Therefore, Habakkuk was compelled to pray about the process of prayer. Can you identify with Habakkuk's frustration. Have you been wrestling with God in prayer? Maybe in your heart you're asking questions like, where is God? Why doesn't he answer my prayer? Or why has he abandoned me? Habakkuk has questions. You see, he's concerned about the nation's Contempt for justice. That's our second heading. The nation's contempt for justice. In verses 3 and 4, the prophet explains the ways in which justice has been perverted in his day. But that begs the question that we've yet to answer. Where does Habakkuk appear in the timeline of Israel's history? And to answer that question, uh, we need to look at our text for clues. Look at verse 6. God says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Who are the Chaldeans? And when do they come to power? Well, the name uh, Chaldeans is the biblical name for the Babylonians. Technically, this is the Neo-Babylonians. The Babylonians became the undisputed world power in 605 BC. So Habakkuk was written sometime before then. 
And as we consider the prophet's complaint in verses three and four, we see the book was written in a time of spiritual decline. Um, you'll have, if you look back at Israel's history right before 605, you'll see that there's a giant um, high points and low points. High points like um, times in Hezekiah or with Josiah. Extreme low points like the king Manasseh. And that's just within 50 years. This is a time of decline. So it's at one of those points of decline. Given all of the evidence, Habakkuk was probably written between 610 and 605 BC, just before the fall of Assyria and the rise of Babylon. If this is the case, the historic context of the book is rooted in the reign of Jehoiakim, one of the sons of Josiah. So historically, we're talking about 2 Kings chapter 23 and 24, the end of 23 and chapter 24, and of course, their corresponding chapters in 2 Chronicles. This would make Habakkuk a contemporary of the prophets Nahum, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. Habakkuk was deeply troubled about the national sins of Judah. In verses three and four, the prophet explains the ways in which justice is being perverted in society. And it's important, of course, to keep in mind that this is a period where the church and the state are interconnected. When we're thinking about what we're talking about, about society. So we might think of the church and state as two separate jurisdictions, but at this time, they're made up of the same people. The king of Israel, its, its judges, and all of the civil government were also members of the ancient church. The citizens of Judah are God's covenant people. Habakkuk's troubled heart has driven him to his knees. He has been entreating the Lord in prayer day after day after day after day. And in verse three, Habakkuk expresses heartache saying, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Other translations ask, why do you make me look at injustice? Why are you tolerating wrongdoing? Where is God? Again, why doesn't he act? Habakkuk continues in verse 3. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The prophet speaks of violence in verse 2 and 3, doesn't he? And we can identify with the anguish in our post-Christian culture. We can understand why Habakkuk seems to pray with a sense of horror and bewilderment. Uh, the, West, the West can continue to legalize all sorts of sin, but that doesn't mean that it isn't a crime before God. Abortion, gambling, narcotics, euthanasia, prostitution, again, as a culture, we excel at spousal abuse, child abuse, school shootings, human trafficking, bombings, riots, looting, drug trafficking, 
we've become a culture of death. We call evil good and good evil. We wrap a bow on our sin and establish a month to be proud and we celebrate. We can understand the feeling of helplessness Habakkuk expresses in verse 4 as he watches the innocent and the powerless trample, as he feels completely outnumbered by his culture. In verse 4, Habakkuk tells God, the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Again, Habakkuk has been begging God to have mercy, to come to the rescue of his people, to change their hearts, to change their minds, to bless his people with a desire to turn from their sin and to believe in him. But as his prayers seem to go unanswered, his frustration builds So we ask God again and again, why don't you answer me? He's like Jacob in Genesis 23 who wrestles with God on the bank of the Jabbok River. Do you remember that? Jacob refuses to let go. They wrestled all night until daybreak. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And what does the Lord do? He blesses him, doesn't he? He wrestled with God. Do you share Habakkuk's frustration? Are you praying for this nation and wondering what he's doing? Are you praying for this denomination, our presbytery, this church? Maybe you can relate to the prophet over personal matters. Do you feel surrounded, outnumbered, and overwhelmed by your circumstances? Do you feel abandoned? Are you wondering if the Lord has forgotten about you? If so, God is sending you a clear message in this text. He sees you and he hears you. In verses 5 through 11, the Lord responds to Habakkuk, telling him that he is already at work. We see the Lord's commitment to justice. That is our third heading, the Lord's commitment to justice. Living through an extended season of moral corruption and spiritual decay made Habakkuk long for revival for the nation. So he prayed to that end, and the Lord broke his silence, and he answered the prophet's prayer, but in a way that left him stunned. Consider the Lord's response to Habakkuk in verse 5. He says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. God essentially told Habakkuk, I share your concern about Judah. 
You're right. Justice is needed. Revival is needed. I am preparing a definite response for their infidelity toward me. God was going to bring about revival, but not in the way Habakkuk had envisioned it. He was going to do it in a way that left the prophet astounded. In verse 5, God says, Look at the nations for my chosen solution. I am working. I am raising up a new world power to execute judgment among the nations. God was going to use Babylon to reprimand Judah, to correct her, to draw her back to himself. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses warned the Lord's people. Hear his words. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. As swift as an eagle flies, a nation whose language you do not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And a little over a hundred years before Habakkuk lived, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah, king of Judah, He said, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Well, Isaiah's prophecy will be fulfilled in Habakkuk's lifetime, and the Lord is confirming it in this text. God tells the prophet, what Judah can expect at the hands of the Babylonians. And it's terrifying. Verse 6 says, The Babylonians are going to be greedy for plunder and that they are going to take everything that's valuable. Verse 7 says that Judah should be in dread and fear of the soldiers that are about to descend upon her because they are going to be lawless. There'll be a law unto themselves. They're going to do whatever it is that they desire. Verse 8 promises that this army will move quickly, so quickly that there will be no escaping them, no outrunning them, no place to hide. And verse 9 ensures that there will be suffering. The Babylonian warriors are coming for violence. They're coming for violence. They crave bloodshed. They're looking for it. They thrive on cruelty. And no one will be able to resist them. Verse 10 confirms that they will be unstoppable. They'll conquer every nation that they set their eyes upon. And verse 11 confirms that Judah will be easy work for them. The Babylonians would be intoxicated with their own success. They're idolaters who've made a god of human might and their ability to dominate others. You shouldn't be surprised that God responds to sin with justice. What you should be 
amazed by is that he is so incredibly patient as he calls upon them to repent and to believe the gospel. Why does he delay? Why doesn't he just return right now? We pray for him to return. Why why doesn't he just come right now and just bring justice to this world and to this nation? Why does he tarry? Why does he offer everyone a full pardon? The thing that's truly staggering is that God was sinned his only son as a substitute. Do you think that the wrath of God, do you think that the wrath of the Babylonians sounds unbearable, unimaginable, The infinite wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus is far worse. It was far worse. Why would he do that for you? How could he love you that much? God loves his people, he hears their prayers. You see, when Habakkuk cried out to God in prayer, he assumed that God wasn't listening or that God was ignoring him. Habakkuk was trying to interpret providence. It it seemed like God had disappeared. He couldn't have been more wrong. Habakkuk couldn't see the evidence of God's presence. He was growing impatient. God wasn't moving fast enough for him. The Lord responded and ensured the prophet that he did indeed hear his prayers. He would correct Judah and bring her back to himself. Do you find yourself in a place like Habakkuk? Are you frustrated with providence? Are you convinced that God must be wearing earplugs? If so, learn from Habakkuk. God hears you. Wrestle with him in prayer. Make your heart known to him. Do it. Tell him everything. Hold it. Don't hold it back. Tell him everything. And wait patiently on the Lord. And realize God's ways are sometimes mysterious. The righteous shall live by his faith. That is a primary lesson Habakkuk is going to learn in this book. As we begin to meditate on the book of Habakkuk, I hope you can already see that this is an extraordinary book. It's unique. It asks hard and weighty questions. And as the book opens, Habakkuk wants you to know that God is actively ruling and reigning over the nations. He wants you to know that God is caring for his people. He wants you to know how serious God is about sin. And Habakkuk wants you to know that God hears your prayers and answers. He wants you to know that God will bring justice. So the prophet publishes his own frustration 
as well as God's reply. We've considered the prophet's concern for justice, the nation's contempt for justice, and the Lord's commitment to justice. And we've learned that the Lord hears your prayers and that you ought to wait patiently on him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we... We do stand in awe of your power. And we certainly are frightened thinking of those that we know and love who are not in Christ and who stand in their sin. Lord, you know, on the one hand, we pray, Lord, come back, come back tonight. And then on the other hand, we say, no, 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 not yet. My brother still doesn't believe my cousins, my, my family, my friends, there are so many who are still lost. Oh, Lord. Your judgment will be far heavier, heavier than the Babylonians that we know. Lord, hear our hearts, hear the prayers of your people as we lift up names before you of people we know who are lost. Oh, how we desire that your mercy would come, that our loved ones would come to know you. Lord, we would ask that your spirit would move among those that you've put in our lives, our family, our friends, our co-workers. Lord, we'd ask for your help. Would you give us boldness? And we would pray for our nation. Lord, you know how many times we lift up our nation before you and we would confess that we pray like Habakkuk. We pray that you would bring this nation to you, but um, we don't want it the way it's going to come to Judah. Lord, we just want a revival. Um, So we would lift up our nation to you, Lord. We would pray that you wouldn't have to bring armies. We pray that instead you would raise up myriads upon myriads upon myriads of believers who would go into the streets and bring the law and the gospel. And we pray that your spirit would move in power, that this land would be converted. Oh Lord, you have said that your law is written on the hearts of men. We would ask that you would make the consciences of our people sensitive, they seem so calloused. Lord, would you help? We'd ask these things in Christ's name, asking, Lord, that you would do all of your holy will. Amen.